What, uh, what, what episode is this, Mr. Andy? 68. Episode 68. No one, no one thought we'd make it past 12. Nope. Uh, and here we are, episode 68. Hello, everybody. Mike and Andy, uh, the Vox World headquarters, Brea, California, today in the 80s. Um, and, um, which is good because the, my arc is only half full, uh, and half completed in the backyard. We've gotten so much rain. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for, uh, for ending the drought. Um, now you can end the ending of the drought right. by uh, giving us some sunshine, which might speak to how doctrinally off Mike is by believing that there would be yep. another flood. I did a rain dance. Um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and brothers and sisters, we got to start first with just a confession. So. I did this thing uh, a month ago called a Spartan race, and and I'd been training for it. Um, but who you know who knew uh, running a five mile obstacle course race over three hundred pounds you know is bad for you? I, I mean that just doesn't make any sense to me. But um, I had a really I just had a really I felt really really bad all day. Um, I, I wasn't I felt like I hadn't trained at all. No energy. My heart rate was super high felt awful we're driving back you know eight hours later and um man i about pass out and i freak and blah 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 well i've been i've been uh, diagnosed uh with a a regular heartbeat called uh, atrial fibrillation which is very exciting and um and as somebody who suffers from anxiety and panic uh any any such diagnosis creates then supersized feelings of anxiety and panic. And then close behind those are feelings of depression. And so normally when uh, my family leaves in the, uh, the, in the morning at 7.30 or so, and I've got six hours to myself, I am happier than anything. And I'm wrestling with, okay, what comes first? A nap, uh, some destiny, uh, a Coors Light, or, um, or you know, some sort of productive work. And normally productive work wins out, but just having the option of the Coors Light always just kind of is helpful. But anyway, uh, so for the last month, uh, my anxiety and depression have been the worst they've been in 15 years. Like, it's as if the medication I was on has not worked and touched it at all. So I've just been a mess. I've been a weepy mess, an anxious mess. I don't know what to do, you know, blah, blah, blah. I've been in the ER like twice, figuring out hard stuff. So, so this morning, um, evidently, I, I am also common sense uh, impaired as well. I have an anxiety disorder and a common sense disorder because while I was putting some pants away, I found a seven-year-old bottle of anxiety medication, and, and I thought, what could possibly go wrong by taking this? So, so uh, I took uh, clonopin. Um, that is seven years old. And Andy walked in and I'm literally, I mean, the room is spinning. I am loopier than anything. Um, and the anxiety is still there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so not exactly the, the outcome I was hoping for. I think we'll kind of get rid of that, yeah. uh, that stuff here. Um, uh, maybe seven years of it too long to let it sit. But anyway, it's just been really funny for me to try to put sentences together um, and Andy's going, you sure you want to do this? And I'm like, what could possibly what go could wrong? possibly go wrong? We're, we're sitting here doing a podcast while we're worried about Mike putting sentences together. Exactly. This is, no, this no. is a recipe for success. I think, you know, and I think people, I think people are used to, uh, me not putting sentences together well. So, <laughs> so anyway, we're going to give this a shot because and, poor Andy drove all the way up to the Brea, uh, World Vox headquarters. So, um, uh, what I wanted to do today um, is, is always, and I know I always say this, but I just want to say thank you for the incredible engagement. I mean, uh, I just, and the reason I keep saying thank you is I don't ever want to take it for granted. I don't want to take it for granted. We have 97 of you um, supporting so generously the podcast. I don't want to take it for granted um, that thousands of you are downloading this every month. I don't want to take it for granted um, that so many of you report back to us ways in which the conversations that begin here get continued on in um what is that that's an airplane that's flying. that's flying open. low oh it's an open window that's right it's 80 degrees up yep um and oh look at the bird we got bird sounds we actually have a hundred people now supporting us on patreon <gasps> 
as, oh, of, is, as of this moment at 10 a.m. That's crazy. So, I mean, we're so, we're so blessed. And, and evidently, I need to use that some of that money to buy um, new anxiety medication. <laughs> Please. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I always talk about wrestling with anxiety and depression. Now you're getting me in the middle of it. So, so for a long time, the medication and the lifestyle changes I've made um, were enough to kind of keep this at bay. But, you know, having this heart thing and having all the weird heart sensations around it, like I had to go to the ER yesterday because I had this shooting pain in my heart and chest pressure and what's panic and what's a heart attack and I don't know. And so it, it's been it's been just a really cruddy uh, several weeks. But what was so funny is I thought, you know, I, I, let, let me try something. And, uh, and so I'm just a zombie. So anyway... Um, what we want to do today, well, is say thank you. We also want to let you know, of course, and we say this all the time, um, if you're interested in supporting us, um, we are going to start a Revelation podcast. Um, that, that's that been put a little bit on delay because of all the health stuff um, this last month. I mean, so many tests and so much stuff. Um, and so I have not gotten as far in as I, I want to get in. I'm hoping to get a couple episodes out here in the next month that just kind of set up the series. Um, but we offer, you know, we offer a bunch of books. I need to, I've got an outline for an ebook I want to write and we want to give away all this stuff to this, the folks that are supporting us. Um, you can also support us by leaving us reviews that, I mean, I, I, I do go check and I'm mm -hmm. just so grateful, uh, for you guys, um, and your kindness to do that. I know it's a pain, but it really helps, um, get the podcast noticed. We're consistently in the top 200 Christian podcasts in the country. Right. And I mean, that's, that's incredible. Yeah, and, that's amazing. Um, and it really is a credit to you and a credit to the grace of God that has allowed us to have this. This is, you know, we, none of this was dreamt of um, when I just wanted something to do when I was unemployed. So, um, <laughs> so it's been, it's been really amazing. So what I want to do over the last, last uh, several months in our church community, um, we've been talking about uh, the subject of hell, and, and what I thought we'd do, I know we've already had one podcast with Preston Sprinkle on the subject of hell, but I, I kind of wanted to give, uh, if you were hearing this for the first time, kind of uh, some thoughts, that, some things I've learned um, along the way, that, you know, that if somebody ever says, hey, I, I just can't believe that God would torture people forever, um, well, here's, a, here's an alternative way of looking at that. And, um, and so, so for some of you that have been following along, this, this will be a bit review, but some new stuff too. Um, and, and don't pretend like even if it's review, you remember it all because there's no way you remember it all. Um, but, but I also just want to build a case for, cause I get, I get, I would say I get on average, um, two or three questions a week, whether from our community or, or in the podcast or something from some avenue that, that talks about the reality of hell and the picture we have of a God who um, is angry towards sin and sinners, who uh, is going to take his wrath out on somebody, but Jesus steps forward and says, nope, uh, I'll offer my services. Um, and, and so the wrath of God is poured in on Jesus. And then for those of us who don't uh, accept that, we will be um, eternally and consciously tormented forever. Um, in a space that God has reserved specifically for those people. And then you have another brand of Christian theology that says, not only, not only uh, are you in there, but God chose ahead of time to put you there. Uh, and I just, I think, I think this view is abhorrent. I think it is, it is toxic. I think it is unbiblical. And I think it is, un, un, the damage it does. So the reason we think the hell conversation is important is because it's associated with whether or not you think Jesus is beautiful. Mm -hmm. And we think Jesus is beautiful. That conversation is the most important conversation to have. And so I just want to give some thoughts. Now, if, you, if you're interested in the details and the theology, there are books I can recommend. But even, even that, I mean, we've done five or six teachings on, um, on the, the topics I'm just going to kind of skim over. So, um, so the first thing, and, and, and there's, there are really some great books out there. One of them is called Skeletons in God's Closet by Joshua Wright and Butler. And he makes this point, I, and I'm stealing it directly from him. But he said, um, we get hell wrong 
because we get heaven and earth wrong. And it's something we've talked about a lot in our community, that, that the biblical story is not at all about heaven and hell. The biblical story is fundamentally about heaven and earth. And so the, the biblical story begins with God creating the heavens and the earth, and that, that they were in lockstep, that, that, that heaven, which is God's space, and earth, which is our space, um, were integrated to, to, to such a degree that God would walk among the garden in the cool of the day with the creatures he had made. And so, so there's this unity between the heavens and the earth. God residing with his people, people having meaningful work to do, living in intimate relationships with each other, um, and doing it to the glory of their creator. Um, of course, that lasts two chapters, and there is this rupture uh, in Genesis 3 through Genesis 11 that we realize is both angelic and creaturely, um, that, uh, that there is disobedience, and as a result, sin and death enter into God's good world. And, and, and because of that, there is a fracture now between the heavens and the earth. There's a distance now. Uh, the scriptures will say things like, the highest heavens belong to the, uh, to, to the Lord, but the earth he has given to men and to women. Or uh, when Jesus prays, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So heaven's the place where God's will is done. Earth is the place where other wills besides God's and including God's are being done for a season in human history. So there's this rupture that exists. And and because, and, and this is where we really miss the biblical story. The biblical story is not about people living on earth, dying with immortal souls, facing judgment, and then their immortal souls either go to heaven or go to hell. That's not the biblical story. The biblical story is heaven and earth were created, heaven and earth have been ruptured, heaven and earth will be reunited again, but before that happens, sin, death, evil, cancer, all of that has to be purged um, from human life and human persons, and that Jesus is the one who began to do that work. So that heaven and earth can now be reestablished in, in the ways in which God originally intended. Mm -hmm. And so, so that turns out to be the biblical story. And, and the biblical story, hell, is not the counterpart of heaven in the biblical story. Earth is the counterpart of heaven in the biblical story. Hell turns out to be the place where all of the garbage goes, where all of the sin, the death, the evil, it has to go somewhere and hell becomes the place where this goes. Now, at least, and, and, and I'll flesh that out in a little bit, because it's more than that, but it's at least that. Mm -hmm. All right, so okay. the first big surprise is when you don't get the relationship between heaven and earth right, you you end up focusing on hell in a, in a way in which the Bible does not. Right? Of course, Jesus mentions it, but he's got a very specific word for it and a, and a very specific biblical reference for it. Um but but the vast majority of the biblical teaching is about what God is doing in heaven and what he's doing on earth in, in, in an attempt to reunite them. Mm -hmm. and, and how the Bible ends is the same way the Bible begins. There's a new heavens and a new earth. There is a city now coming out of heaven dressed as a beautiful bride prepared for her husband. The city now rests in the new earth. And that God dwells now with his people. They're giving meaningful work to do. I mean, it's the same picture mm -hmm. that God originally intended. But what's happened and the difference has been that the earth has been purged from, um, uh, sorry, I got just got an email that's incredibly important, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> Dear President Obama, uh, yes, I will be your VP for 2020. Um, Can he do that? Can he come back? Can a president come? Absolutely. Because you can only do a straight term. Didn't we do right? didn't one of them do it? Like and didn't FDR do it or oh, I don't, I Teddy guess Roosevelt it, do it? It speaks to my knowledge of American history. That's I'm, because you're Filipino. No That's right. That's because you're Filipino. Know a now, lot about Filipino history. I do not. So so the 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 interesting point is that judgment see when we when we when we place when we look at judgment in the classic view of people live on earth, they're good or bad, they accept Jesus or don't, then their immortal souls get judged and sent to heaven or hell. Judgment is punitive. In the, in the biblical story, judgment is restorative. Because what God's doing is restoring creation and humanity to what he originally intended it to be. Mm. Now, that is such a big difference, right? When I discipline my kids, why is that not abuse? Okay, so if I, if I have my kids sit in timeout, 
right? Or if I say, you know, Nate, you really need to spend some time in your room right now because your attitude is ridiculous, mm-hmm. right? Why is that not abusive? Why is that not considered abuse? Well, the reason, hopefully, is I'm not doing physical harm, uh, but but also the intent. My intent is to restore him back into the family, right? And my intent is to, is is redemptive and restorative. It's not to just uh, just display my anger, right, and my mm-hmm. disgust and my you know uh, disdain of Nate. It's to actually. It's actually correct. It's to actually discipline. It's to actually, uh, but all of that is done for the sake of re- restoration. Mm-hmm. So why does God judge? Just because he's pissed that people have broken his little rules, or is he grieved yeah. because of what his creation has become? Right. If you talk to parents whose child um, has uh, has left home and they're out on the streets as a drug addict, are they angry? Yes. But, but their anger is mixed uh, more with grieving right. and sadness. And I just wonder when, you know, when Paul talks about us grieving the Holy Spirit, that image, is that, does that capture a bit of the heart of God? When Jesus is announcing judgment over Jerusalem, he is weeping. Mm-hmm. He's, not, he's not just going, you guys suck. Yeah, and standing there in victory right, and like all right, pious. Right, I'll and, show you. Yeah. No, he's sobbing. So, so to understand the relationship between heaven and earth... Um, becomes unbelievably important because hell is not a central player in this whole thing. Mm-hmm. So this whole like, what would happen if you die tonight question isn't the biblical question. What happens with your life tonight is the more biblical question. Mm. Is, it, is your life being oriented towards the things that God is doing rather than is your afterlife oriented towards some believings that you're supposed to have? Mm. To- it, it, this, just that move right there frames the question completely differently. Yeah. Then you get into the specifics of judgment. Okay, so, so if the, there's this rupture between heaven and earth, what must be done to restore it? Well, the, the Bible's word for that is judgment, that God will judge the world. Now, now the, the first big question is why? Why can't he just simply wave a magic wand as a, as a declaration of his omnipotence and goodness, just say, okay, guys, let's, let's do over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> why, why does there have to be judgment at all? Okay. And, and um, I think there's several reasons, at least the scriptures give. Number one, because the truth has to be told about the world. We are incredibly self-deceived and deceiving creatures. And I think we all know this. I mean, um, when, when you have a priest uh, abusing a child mm. in the name of Jesus, when you have religious figures pillaging and pocketing funds from old ladies um, in the name of a prayer cloth or seed money, when what, the damage that has been done by religious hypocrites and in the name of Jesus, there has to be a time when the truth about all of those things has to be told. That the priest, even though the priest looked righteous in front of the eyes of the community, the priest was a molester, even if he never got caught. That truth has to be told for heaven and earth to be reunited, mm. right? One of the things that, that comes when heaven and earth are reunited is the image is fire, that fire purifies, mm-hmm. that fire illumines, right. that there is a light, the light of truth is shown into the dark places of, of self-deceit, the, the things I thought about myself, the things I thought, oh no, my, I didn't sin there because I was justifying myself. I mean, I think, I think there has to be a light that shines that simply tells the truth about human history and about human life. Yeah. And I think that's a terrifying thought for all of us because... Yes. The amount of, you know, we've built an entire society on pretending and performing and managing, you know, our image. Um, and uh, we have public relations firms. And I mean, it's, you know, we're constantly, but I want the truth to be told about Enron. I want the truth to be told about human trafficking. I want the truth to be told about the Holocaust. I want the truth to be told, right? The problem is the truth has to be told about me too. Mm-hmm. And the pettiness and the selfishness and the lust and the greed and the ambition and the jealousy, the truth has to be told about that. So to shine the light of truth in human history, that's one of the images we get of God's judgment. And I would argue it's necessary for heaven and earth to be reconciled. The thing that Jesus hated most was hypocrisy. 
And he kept warning the religious leaders, guys, there's coming a time where every word you say will be shouted from rooftops. When every evil motive will be exposed for people to see, right? You cannot hide behind your religion. And, and Jesus actually associates hypocrisy with the power of hell. It's one of the ways we unleash hell into the world. We'll get to that point in a little bit. Second thing that has to be accounted for is the brutality of history. And, um, and again, this is from this Joshua Ryan Butler guy, at least the way he phrases this. He makes the point that when uh, Cain murders Abel, it's the first murder in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it's part of how sin spirals out of control and ripples through God's every aspect of God's good world. Cain murders Abel. God comes to, to uh, Abel or to Cain and says, what have you done? Um, Abel's like, well, I'm not my brother's keeper. And he's like, no, no, no. Your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. Mm-hmm. Now, how many human lives have been lost by violence, rape, abuse, murder, um, killing in defense or self-defense, war, right? I mean, how soaked is the human earth on the blood of people? Whoa, that's heavy, dude. And just start a metal band. And <laughs> the soaking blood of the earth. <laughs> and uh, and uh, and and if if all of that blood cries out from the ground, how do you reconcile heaven and earth without there being an accounting for it? Mm-hmm. See, sometimes we freak out about God being angry, but think about it this way: which is the greater, um, which is the greater violence? God not caring about human trafficking or God hating it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if God was, God was just there and looking at the Holocaust of his chosen people and saying, you know, it's kind of how it goes. Right. Or if God being wrathful against it, you know, if you abuse a child, you are standing against God stands against you. If you are murdering somebody, God is standing against you. He is opposing you. And, and there's something, and, and we all want that, right? Because one of our big objections is, well, God, why aren't you doing more? Yeah. If you're so good and loving, why aren't you doing more? Right. So he's in this, he's in this uh, you know, catch-22 where we don't want him interfering, uh, and then we accuse him of not interfering. Um, and, and the thing that's interesting to me is if there will be the ultimate reconciliation of heaven, the heavens and the earth, the blood has to be accounted for. Mm-hmm. And the truth has to be told about these things. And I, and I find these, not everyone will find them compelling. I find them compelling. I find them compelling. Um, the third one is the fact that creation itself, Paul uses this incredible image, creation itself is in bondage because human beings were supposed to be the vice regents, the co-governors, the, the rulers over creation in such a manner that they would reflect the creator's intelligent and, and uh, creative goodness towards creation and reflect creation's worship back to God. Mm-hmm. So we were to be tiny echoes and mirrors. And instead, we, we, we've given authority away to creation itself. That's why the whole they listen to the talking snake thing is so important. Right. They obeyed the, uh, the creature rather than the creator, right. which is the fundamental human sin. It's idolatry. And so because of that, creation is now upside down. So creation has to be restored, at least in the Bible, that, that the groaning it does through the natural disasters, the groaning it does through the damage we've done in the ecosystems, the, the groaning it does because we've not cared for the environment, the groaning it does uh, at the deepest levels of instability and tectonic shifting and I mean all those things that has to be something has to be done about this it's not just the the fallenness of human beings that's the issue it's the fallenness of the creation itself that's the issue but that fallenness of creation is tied specifically and directly to the fallenness of human life Right. And and one of the reasons why there has to be, before there can be a reconciliation of heavens and earth, there has to be some sort of judgment is, is because we're not just the victims of fallenness, but we're the purveyors of it too. So the, the analogy I always think of is, is, is if one of my children had cancer, is it out of anger that I want to purge the cancer out of my child? 
Or is it out of fierce love and grief that I want to purge the cancer out of my child? I see God and I see the biblical pictures of God grieving as he seeks to eradicate the cancers metaphorically, spiritually, and physically that have have eaten away at the human race for generations. That And the problem is, all of us will agree, well, yes, we can't not wait for evil to be purged from the world. The problem is we're all part of the problem. So there's not just a cosmic aspect to the work God does in reconciling, reconciling heaven and earth, but there's an individual aspect God must do that you and I, that, that Jesus has put forward, And it says very clearly, it's not just to take the Father's wrath, but it's to be the agent of the reconciliation of all people to the Father. So that when heaven and earth are reconciled, we're already fit for that reconciliation. Hmm. So, you know, that the the purging has already started. Yeah. And so, so, so the, the biblical ethics turn out to be live what's already true of you. Like we talked about last episode, live, you you are fit now for the kingdom. Now live, learn to live that fitness and alignment before it comes. You are the presence of the future in, mm. in other ways. So, so that's the story of heaven and earth. And if that's the story of heaven and earth, judgment is necessary and it's not in spite of love, it's because of love. It is the God who desires to get rid of every speck of cancer in his child's body. It's the God who is passionate about remedying injustice and the martyrs and the innocent sufferers and the people who never heard about him and all of the, all of the things that have been gone on in the name of Jesus or Antichrist all of that must be shown to be for what it is and must be accounted for. Mm-hmm. There has to be something. Images that are given are, the, are, are images of fire, like the purification. The rest is burned away. And my little girl asked such a great question. She's 11. And she said, Dad, what does it matter if I do good things or bad things? What does it matter? And, um, and I kept saying, baby, the Bible teaches the good things you do carry forward into the good creation. They, they carry forward. I don't know how, but literally Paul will talk about churches as an example mm-hmm. that, that, that go through this fire and they come out uh, keeping part of the church, right? The, yeah. the, what they build it on, that, that part survives. Um, the good works follow us into the heavens, right? We're, we're called to build and invest in, in heavenly things. What's that mean? Into things already aligned with the work that God will do one day. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. You know what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, that it get that gets me into like a similar concern I have for questions that have been asked. I just don't know if we're we're there yet, like in the conversation. Because are we? Because I, I want to talk about it, but I know that you're. Are you going to talk more about why eternal conscious torment or not? Oh yeah, we're going to get there. Okay, let's get oh, there yeah. first. Yeah. This this. So I'm just setting groundwork. Great. So groundwork piece number one is. You don't understand hell unless you understand heaven and earth, because hell is not the counterpart of heaven. Mm-hmm. Second, second thought is, well, why? Why does God judge? Out of love. And, and out of the realization that heaven and earth cannot be reconciled until these things have been accounted for, until these things have been dealt with. Um, a, a, a trimming away of all that has been plaguing human beings, the shadow of death no more, the shadow of guilt no more, the shadow of fear no more. I mean, all these images of wiping every tear from somebody's eye, I mean, that's, man, that's it. Yeah. And we all hunger for that, baby. That yeah. is, we all hunger for that. The problem is we're just not willing to pay the cost to see that happen yet, right? right. Now, the, the third surprise when it comes to God's judgment is, is something Jesus introduces, but it was previewed all throughout the Old Testament scriptures, namely that the two things that you can expect when God judges and when there's accounting, uh, the words are surprise and the words are reversal. So Jesus constantly teaches um, that there's a great reversal coming, that those who are happy in this world, those who are self-satisfied in this world, those who are self-righteous in this world, those people that are content in this world, he pronounces woe on those people. And he pronounces blessing on the poor and the mourning and the and the comfortless because of what's coming. So so reversal, he'll say things like all the time, the first will be last, the last will be first. If you want to be highest, you must be lowest. If you want to be the leader, you have to be the servant. And, and that's all anticipating a reversal. He even tells a parable about a rich man who didn't take care of a poor beggar. 
and then they both die. The beggar now is with Abraham, and the rich man is in torment in, in Hades. And these are, this, this is all his teaching when he talks about sheep and goats. Hey, some of you were feeding me and visiting me in jail, and, and, and the righteous ones are going, we never saw you. And, and he's looking at others and saying, you never came, and you never fed, and you never served. And, and they're going, when did we see you? Right? It's a shock. Yeah. I mean, it's a surprise. And Christians, me, we've we've so taken the shock out of that because um, so much of our Jesus following turns out to be just convincing ourselves that we're in the good club and uh, and on the inside. And here are all the people that aren't. When Jesus is so clear that the people who have to worry most about being outside are the ones who think they're inside, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. that's, that's the surprise. The surprise is, hey, he'll, he'll tell a parable, didn't? The, and people will say, didn't we eat with you? Didn't, didn't you, will you teach in our streets? And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you, right? I mean, constant thread throughout his teaching is that insiders are judged first and insiders are judged sometimes more harshly than outsiders. Yeah. Jesus's harshest words, of course, were the religious Pharisees, mm-hmm. the hypocrites of his day. Now he's giving them harsh words because their self-righteousness has to be punctured for them to even awaken to their need for him. Right. He's not doing it because he hates them. Right. It's like a, it's an act of mercy in a way. In a mercy, but it's like there are times when I'm parenting my child, I got to raise my voice, right? I've got to like to get their attention, like Seth particularly. I just say, hey, Seth, let's reason together. Does not work, yeah. right? If he's ready to run out into the middle of the street, I grab that boy and I yank him back, yeah. right? I mean, they're, you know, and, and that's what he's doing. Jesus is, is grabbing them uh, by their self-righteousness and showing them how um, utterly non-self-righteous or non-righteous they turn out to be. But the point for our purposes is that is that the the definitions of insiders and outsiders aren't as clear as Christians have made them to be. And we must be very, despite repeated warnings, we must be very, very careful to not start assigning eternal destinations to people because that is one of the surest signs you're in trouble. And so, so again, all of this is fleshed out in different teachings, but it's a surprise that the, that the judgment of Jesus is leveled. So when Jesus was clearing temples out, he wasn't clearing Roman temples out. He wasn't clearing Gentile temples out. He wasn't clearing pagan temples out. He was clearing out his his father's temple, right? Yeah. When when he speaks in Revelation to churches, he's not speaking to the pagan cults. He's speaking to his churches about not being faithful. Mm-hmm. It would start with us. If Jesus were here, his harshest words would be for the church, would not be for the gay community or for Trump or for Obama, right? It would be for his church. So, so to me, the idea of judgment, it, we've, it's taken on all kinds of nuances. It's, it's restorative. It's necessary. It's out of love. It's because there's so much in human life and history that has to be accounted for. And it's always leveled first and foremost at the people who are to be the bearers of peacemaking and of mercy and of compassion and of his, it, the good news, right? Yeah. So he's always going after that first. All right, so point number four, surprise number four, is how God judges because God's judgment is both now and it's not yet. And, and that God has an interesting way of judging. We think, when we hear the word judgment, we think of uh, a punishment that is externally imposed upon a crime and a criminal. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I rob a bank, I go before a jury, the jury finds me guilty, the judge levels a sentence. There's nothing about that sentence that is intrinsically related to the bank robbery, mm-hmm. right? Now, in the Old Testament, though, in Hebrew thinking, judgments were always connected to the sin that you'd committed. In other words, um, sin leads to ruin. And the, the, the words, the Hebrew words would be related. Sin would be its own punishment. In other words, sin would be its own reward. So, so for instance, you take alcohol. What does the abuse of alcohol lead to? Um, alcoholism, right? To the addiction, to the ruining of relationships, the ruining of health, right? That's its that's its own judgment, right? Um, um, you know, uh, um, an erratic heartbeat on a guy who you know is uh, is three bills plus running a Spartan race, 
Uh, I don't have to sit here and go, hey, God, why, why did you do this? Why did you let this happen? Because right. God in his mercy would look at me and say, okay, fat ass. Um, <laughs> let's just talk about that for a second, right? right. Or, or the smoker that goes, why, did I, why do I have lung cancer? Mm-hmm. Like disobedience shows the goodness of the rule that is being broken. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so there, so there, this, there's this judgment. Judgment is built organically into the universe. Sometimes God will use the phrase "God gave them over," and we we talked about this uh, last episode, where where God will just let us have what we want, right? Right. And they will receive in themselves in Romans one the due penalty for their perversion. In other words, the perversion already carries with it the seeds of its own destruction. Yeah. Right. So it's not like God's up there zapping people, brothers and sisters. He doesn't do that. There are pictures of him doing that, but those seem to be exceptions around different circumstances than just the normal, you reap what you sow. So the surprise of judgment, one of the surprises is that judgment's happening all the time. And, and hell is not evidently just some random at the end of the age judgment where God looks at you and says, nah, you didn't mean it out. It's actually the progression and the formation of people around the sins that have carried their own destruction with them. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. And that's, to me, the most terrifying thing. As somebody who, uh, as somebody who has wrestled with uh, gluttony or uh, porn or whatever, um, there, there are consequences built in to the misusing of those things that God doesn't have to impose. They're already built in there. Right, right. I'm, but, re- I'm just remembering a story. I think it was my, my, one of my aunts, her, when she, yeah, when she was like 13 or 14 or something like had, she got caught smoking, right? And her mom sat down with her and the way that she did it, she's like, okay, if you want to smoke, let's sit down, let's smoke, Right. And so she she buys a pack of cigarettes, sits down with her, and they're smoking. She's like, "And yeah, we're just gonna keep smoking." You oh, know? that's so genius! And and she and finally she was just so sick of it, and she's just like, "I'm that," and then never smoked again in her rest of her life. Right. right? And it's funny you you can look at that as like, well, what's is it judgment because like, well, now oh, you're putting her through the pain of smoking. Like, how could you do that? You're a terrible parent. Or is it mercy because she realizes in that moment. You know yeah. how awful this is how, be. how awful this road actually became. Now she could have said, "I'm going to slap your hand, and next time I see you doing it, you know, worse right. is coming. Right. You're going to get grounded or whatever." But it's like the realization of the act is never realized. That's you know, right. it, it creates That's rebellion right. and That's actually right. causes desire. It, it it twists the whole concept. That's, right. it, it, that's just a funny picture to me because it, it's a simple way to make sense. Of Absolutely. That. Yeah. My mom, when I was three years old, found me. I'd climbed our fence into the neighbor's backyard and was swinging on their swing. Mom freaked out until she heard, hi, mommy. For me uh, over next door, how did you get over there? I climbed the fence. I said in my three-year-old voice. Mommy said, okay, um, you're going to get a spanking. Now, spanking, um, for you snowflakes out there, spanking is something that most uh, millennials, or excuse me, most Gen Xers, uh, we lived with. We survived it. It was not abusive. It was a form of punishment. Now, there are times, of course, when it's totally inappropriate. But this is just what you did back in the day. My mom had a fly swatter, okay? And, <laughs> and she would just tan my little hiney. And so um, she gave me this, we were walking over from the neighbor's house. She gives me this big, long lecture about, you know, how boys don't climb fences and it's dangerous. And, and then she says, um, are you going to climb the fence again? And me, uh, being dumb, even at that young age, <laughs> says, yes, mommy, I'm going to climb the fence again. And so she goes and gets the fly swatter and she says, okay, mom. She says, okay, Mike, climb the fence. Boys that climb fences get spankings. Go ahead and climb the fence. No, mommy. Climb the fence, son. I'm going to spank you because boys that climb the fence get spankings. So climb the fence. No, mommy. No, no. Don't make me climb the fence. Never did it again, right? I mean, it's just kind of like that same genius. Yeah, right. Right. So, so maybe God, maybe God's a bit smarter than that. A little bit, (laughs) but but there is something that that is in the scriptures that talks about. Judgment isn't just something that happens someday. Judgment is also something that is built into the fabric of the universe. Anyone who breaks um, the, the really clear commands of the scriptures ends up proving them. You know, why should I be generous? Well, just hang around a greedy person sometime. 
Yeah. You know, why should I be pure? Just hang around somebody who's given themselves over to sexuality and sexual addiction. And, and why, why, why should I be humble? Well, stand, be, be, be next to someone who's totally full of themselves. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. it, 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 it's, you become formed by these things and that formation itself is the judgment. Right. So why does God judge? Uh, there's so much that has to be accounted for. Uh, who does he judge? Well, it, the shocking thing is he holds his own people accountable first. And that the day of whenever that judgment is in the future, the not yet part of that judgment will be a day of reversals and surprises. Mm-hmm. Um, how does he judge? Sin is its own punishment. The consequences are often built in so that we're be, we're, we begin to experience the, the judgments uh, that, that are waiting for us here and now. And what are the judgments that are being that, that are waiting for us that are expressed here and now? Simple. You get what you want. Now that is so important for then um, where does God judge? Like, like where do we go? So this is gonna take a little time, all right? Okay. Um, hell in the Bible is both a power and it's a place. Okay, it's a power unleashed in the world by human beings. And it's a place where all of the refuge, refuge, refuse, refuse, uh, and and <laughs> like, <"Wait."> junk <laughs> and um, and evil go. Okay, mm-hmm. in order that the earth and the heavens can be reconciled. So heaven is a power, and here's one passage that describes that from James. It says, "Our tongues." Um, our speech can unleash destruction because they literally themselves are set on fire by hell. So our tongues set fire, meaning they can uh, they can cause a great, you know, they're like a spark that causes a great blaze. They're mm. a little thing that can cause great damage, mm. but they themselves are set on fire by hell. <laughs> mm. And so the idea is, what unleashes hell into the world? Um, hell is described as a power. Not just a place, and 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 uh, one author he says, listen, think about America. If you're in Baghdad uh, and uh, you're being bombed, or if you're being Afghanistan in Afghanistan and you're being bombed by drones and B-52s and whatever, is America a power and a place? Yes, you're mm-hmm. experiencing the power of America, correct? Right. But it's also a, a real place that power extends from. Yeah. So, in a similar sense, the scriptures present um, religious hypocrisy as being connected to hell, lust as being connected to hell, anger as being connected to hell, violence being connected to hell, and speech. Uh, These are avenues in which hell gets a foothold. If heaven can be done on earth, then hell can be done on earth too. Hmm. So, it's God not... It's not God saying, um, okay, I'm just going to zap you all. It's actually human beings unleashing hell on each other. Mm-hmm. And we see this all the time, right? I mean, at its worst, it's the, it's the raping and the torturing and the abusing. But there's even the, the, the cutting things that married couples say to each other. It's the way that we shame kids. It's the, it's the bullying that goes on. I mean, all of that, that's all demonic. That's all darkness, right? We're unleashing bits and pieces of hell mm-hmm. and then wondering, God, how come you've let all this happen? Yeah. Right? I mean, it's just a completely different picture. Right. And that has to be dealt with for heaven and earth to be reconciled. But hell is also, in the Bible, a place. Mm-hmm. That's that's normally what we think of. Now, Jesus talks about hell more than anybody else. In the Old Testament, a place was called Sheol, um, which was called the grave. And that was just where, when you died, that's where you went. Everybody went there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, And... The righteous and unrighteous would be resurrected at the end of the age. In the New Testament, um, you have a word called Hades, or Hades, sometimes it's pronounced, that is the Greek equivalent of Sheol. Um, and that word's used once in uh, in Luke. There's another word, Tardis, that Peter uses. But the vast majority of their 12 uses, 11 of them on the lips of Jesus, have a word called Gehenna. Gehenna is a, a reference for a literal valley uh, literal, you can go there today. It was called the Valley of Hinnom, or sometimes called the Valley of Ben Hinnom, the son of Hinnom. And um, it's it's very beautiful today. But it was it's a it's a valley outside one corner of the city, 
And in the Old Testament, and we go into this in the teaching, so if you're interested, I mean, this is like really good stuff, unlike most of the other stuff. <laughs> um, uh, it was a place associated with child sacrifice where Israel would, in, in, in worship to false gods, would offer their children in, um, in sacrifice through fire. So fire and Gehenna, fire and hell were always put together because literally there was a place called Tophet that uh, was, was at one end of the, the, the valley that was where you literally burned the kids in, in worship to the god Molech. Mm-hmm. And Tophet just means the place of burning. Is that street cleaners? I think so. That's why we never, never have the windows open. That's Andy. right. We are, we are not abiding by good, you know, rules. But, but it's hot, so it's forget hot. it. It's hot. Forget about it. So, how, how are my thoughts, by the way? Uh, your thoughts are on track. My, th- my you are putting sentences together rather well. The clonopin, you know, maybe it did its work. Okay, it made me dizzy for about half an hour, and yeah. now it's gone. Okay. So. Thank you for thank you Clonopin for doing nothing except make me feel worse. This episode of the Vox Podcast is sponsored by seven year old Clonopin. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so um, <laughs> side effects include no, <laughs> yeah, seriously, just dumb. Um, so so what you've got when when hell is described as a place, it's not an underground torture chamber. Mm-hmm. It's a place outside the city. Mm-hmm. And this motif outside the city fits into a greater motif all throughout the Bible. When Adam and Eve sin, what does God do? He exiles them out of the garden mm-hmm. so they cannot live forever. He banishes them. Right. What does God do when Israel sins so greatly? They're exiled out of the promised land. Mm-hmm. And then what does God do when he desi- de- decides to reconcile heaven and earth? people are exiled out of the city but what kind of people well the people that would have associated been associated with the valley of gehenna or gehenna uh, would have been those that were sacrificing their children to false gods it would have been it, it literally was the place of israel's greatest apostasy and rebellion where not only did they worship false gods but they sought to bring the false gods into the city one king actually did that in the temple of the living God. He built altars and shrines to all these false gods. And, and so there's this thing that's going on. Where is hell? Hell is outside the city. Hell is exile. Hell is banishment. Hell isn't torture. See, none of these images are tortured. Adam and Eve weren't tortured by being banished. Israel wasn't tortured by being banished. You lost what the best thing was for you was Mm -hmm. he that's what given over looks like you could have had this you have chosen this you can have this right that's what it is it's not like you know people have said well they're just choosing hell no they're not choosing hell what they're choosing instead is is to be formed and shaped in a way where outside the city um either sounds more attractive or um is the natural result of a lifestyle of choices they've made the whole way because, and that's where God's judgment being intrinsic to the behaviors, begin, that's where it does its work. Because you're being formed and shaped into people for whom the city will be the natural outcome, or you're being formed and shaped into people for whom outside the city will be the natural outcome. Yes. Right? And that's yes. happening all the time. Right. That's ongoing. Yes. So the last question we wrestle with um, is, well, what happens outside the city? Uh, and, and, and actually, there's this passage in the book of Revelation that says the, the gates of the city are always open, but outside are the dogs and the cowardly and the immoral. And, 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 and the question that always is raised at this point is, well, do people get a second chance? And I want to say, I sure hope so. Um, but there's no biblical basis for second chance, although I just the character and beauty of Jesus suggests to me that God, if there's any human heart that would ever be open to God, God will do everything to make sure that heart hears about him. So no one will be outside the city who is thinking to themselves, gee, if I would have had a better missionary, if I wouldn't have been abused by that priest, if I, if I um, would have just opened that Bible, uh, if I, no one, no, God's justice and love, see, this will vindicate how good he is. No one's going to be sitting there shaking their fist. That's the image. No one's, right. no one's, everyone, everyone will come to the recognition that was all grace. He is glorious. 
and and the 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 outside the city um there will be great mourning and the weeping and gnashing of teeth image that's used is is an image of anger um so so that's the picture we get of judgment that god to reconcile heaven and earth has to um give an accounting for shine the light of truth on redeem and restore and then where does all that go where does all that go well, it goes somewhere right and that place jesus used uh, he described as gehenna and in in revelation it's called the lake of fire but again it's that same fire image fire in the scripture is never used to torture fire always is used to consume right always even 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 uh john in uh, revelation calls that lake of fire the second death right so so um the image is we we, we don't get hell is not underground it's outside the city its purpose is not punishment, it's restoration. Because think about it, sin will always want back into the city, right? The, the, in the Old Testament, they, it wasn't just enough to have the idols outside the city, they wanted them in the city. And so the city becomes this boundary of mercy. Right. So that what infected human life before can no longer infect it again. Because it's been contained. Hell is containment, it's exile, it's banishment. And I want to argue ultimately that however many chances that gets to get resolved at some point hell doesn't stay there forever hell itself is extinguished yeah and all that's in it is extinguished and so um i spent last sunday going through 82 slides arguing for a, a position called conditionalism that if you've listened to preston and i interact on that several podcasts ago you're not surprised um that i hold that position but i, I tried to do a good job of showing why um, I'm, I'm, I, I favor that position over the position that either God rescues and brings everyone into the city, which would be awesome. Right. I'm not, I'm not going to argue with that. That would be fantastic. Right. But, um, I certainly do not hold that God eternally keeps people alive forever for the purpose of their suffering. Now, so, uh, right there, I want to, I want to take a moment to pause in that. When did, when did that start to change though? Like how long, like for well, me personally yeah, for you personally because i've talked to people outside of this conversation who are like wait a minute does he believe in that like it like they're surprised that you would take that view in the in the grand tradition of just where you've been in the past 10 years um well yeah about 20 years ago there was a guy named john stott who was a church leader in england he's one of my heroes he um he lived a Jesus life in the most remarkable way. I mean, it, it was just, uh, his life was the thing that was so amazing. But um, he wrote an article that set kind of the world, the evangelical world on fire, where he was responding to a liberal theologian and he, made, he, he opened the door for this to be a legitimate biblical reading of the text. Um, now it, it, it's been, it's been throughout church history. I mean, I have articles that show like, here's this church father that held it. And here's this church father that right. held it, but it's always been the minority view, mm -hmm. particularly, um, uh, after the, uh, fourth century through the middle ages, um, informed by the Catholic doctrines of purgatory, Dante's Inferno. Um, it is, it is very much, um, uh, captured the popular imagination, um, and so, you know, even if you're in explicitly non-Christian context, that's kind of the image we get. Right. But um, this is an example where, and, and I think perhaps it was Augustine uh, who who started started us on this line of thought um, uh, of the fires not the farther the the and, and 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 you know this is one way to read church history. One way to read church history is the church went from its Hebrew roots to very Greek Hellenistic roots. And um, uh, Plato and uh, Plato argued passionately for the immortality of the soul, that the soul itself is destructive regardless of its relationship to the body. And once the church embraced that view, well, then heaven has to, or then heaven and hell has to be a place where eternal souls reside. Right. And um, I, I tried to make the case last week that the Bible doesn't teach that our souls are immortal. We, we're not immortal by nature. Only God is immortal. That's why there's a tree of life. 
um, that we are barred from so that we do not live forever in the sinful condition. And there's a tree of life in Revelation so that we can now live forever in that glorified state. Um, uh, but it's, it's clearly taught that God alone is immortal and that eternal life turns out to be the gift of immortality because we're sharing in God's own life. Right. So, uh, so what gets contrasted in the Bible isn't eternal life and eternal death, it's eternal life and death. <laughs> and yeah. so, so I tried to show, you know, um, uh, dozens of verses that talk about destruction, extinction, ruination, um, perishing, Right. consumed by fire and these and these verses so just in terms of their sheer number so overwhelm the four verses um possibly six but i i just think it's really four that that could teach everlasting conscious torment so um the the argument the argument goes hey we're not immortal only god is the wages of sin is death and so if god doesn't intervene death is what happens because we're not immortal um, eternal life is a gift, therefore, not a right. right. It's not something built into human life. So if God gives the gift of eternal life to some, what happens to everybody else? They die. Why? Because right. that's the wages of sin. Why right. did Jesus have to die? That's the wages of sin. Death, right? That, right? And this is how it works. Death was the great verdict over fallen human beings so that they would not live forever in their fallen state. So what death does, death is, uh, it's called the last enemy, the thing that Jesus conquered when he rose from the dead, that it no longer had the power to define us in, in, in captivity. It's just, I mean, incredible pictures. But unless God gives you the gift of life, you will die again, right? The second death. I mean, that's, right. that's kind of the image that's there. And so when you weigh out the uh the passages that seem very just on a clear reading to say death destruction consumed perish separation from god and even recognizing that that all the passages that say like eternal judgment that doesn't necessarily mean that god is judging eternally it means that the judgment itself has eternal consequences you realize oh my goodness this is actually in my view the more biblical view mm -hmm. but here are the crazy objections you get to it um, and this this is so sad. This is so sad to me. Number one, well, if it's not as scary, then what motivation do people have to follow Christ? Yeah. If they're just going to zap, don't atheists believe that anyway? That we're just going to snap out of existence? Then why would we follow Jesus? Yeah. And, and this 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 illustrates the fact that this question is even out there. How wrongly we have understood the message of Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, yeah. Because, because Jesus never once used hell to win people into his kingdom. What he did is he threatened religious leaders yeah. with it right. to wake them up. Right. That was right. the that was the that was the hey guys, you're you're actually in danger of the fire of Gehenna here. Like as corrupt as Israel's leaders were back then mm -hmm. in sacrificing their children, that's how corrupt you are. I mean, I mean, the, it's devastating in its critique. Yeah. But it was very directed. Yeah. Um, the fact that the that that people would literally think that the only reason to follow Jesus would be to escape hell, is to miss the the Jesus of the Bible entirely. Yeah. And so, I mean, I can't say it strong enough. It, I have, I have so much revulsion for the fact that, oh, oh, shoot, we can't like scare people into the kingdom. We can't manipulate them into the kingdom with these gruesome images of hellfire and torment. Right, right. Um, it, it, go ahead. It's but even like the self-reflection of someone who would ask that of themselves, of being like, well, I've called myself a Christian for twenty-five years, and I've always just thought that, like, if I if I didn't believe in Jesus, that I'm going to go to hell anyway. So you're saying that eternal conscious torment isn't going to happen? Well. And I'm just going to die. Oh, I guess that doesn't sound that bad. I'll just then participate everything in this life that I think is worthy and good. And, and that's as good as it's going to get. Ugh. Like, I mean, that's to me, I'm like, Yo, how, how disorienting is that? Cause a, to your point, it's like, then you haven't fallen in love with Jesus and you all, and you wouldn't believe that what you do now matters eternally. Nope. And you wouldn't believe that eternal life starts now. You that's believe right. that eternal life starts when you die. That's right. And, um, that's it's so sad to me, but it, I I kind of have to question though that comes from a posture that lacks crisis of separation, you know, like you that. Mean? Well, in the meaning that it, you don't take seriously that separation from God would be worse 
than God existing and torturing you forever. Right. You know, it's like that's it's like all, for whatever reason, people think that that cheapens God's mercy. Right. And I'm like, the are you kidding? The me? dynamic of, of exactly what you're saying if we're thinking in a heavenly mindset, the opposite of eternal life would be eternal non-existence. Correct. You know, not eternal life with torture. Right. And in, 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 you even pointed out a verse this weekend that talked about how how in and death and destruction, um, it would lack the presence of God. Right. But it's like eternal conscious torment has to suggest that the presence of God is existence in the torturing if he's the one that's doing it. Well, he has to hold them in. in if they're not naturally immortal, he has to specifically give them eternal life for right. the sake of their torture. Right. And then, and but then that too, then that, that whole method is autonomous, like without God, but yet right. you know, right. it's like, to, to me, that's even still like right. a contradiction to everything so else. So to me, so to me, the natural, see, we, we talk about sin carrying its own consequences. Well, what's the ultimate consequence of sin? Death. Death. Unless it's interrupted, unless the gift of life is received, I mean, it's death. Right. So, so to me, I go. I don't follow Jesus because I'm afraid of what will happen when I die. I follow Jesus because I actually think following Jesus is the best way to live my best life now, YOLO, forever. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. See, that's the thing. The, 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 in Jesus' day, they weren't talking about what happens when you die. It was all about how you would live your life. Yeah. It, ha it echoes into eternity, according to Gladiator. But not only that, what kind of life, what kind of vision of life? So in a consumer product, see, what we've done... Done, this is just proof that people view this as a consumer item. What we've done is removed the sting of a perceived cost. So why why now would I say, why would I give something up for this thing if 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 my my refusing of it doesn't cost me as much? Yeah. Right? And you just go, man, if that's the only reason why you were tempted into that thing to begin with is so that you would miss out on the punishment that was being, then you haven't, even, then even the little bit of following you've done isn't real following. Yeah. Right? Right. I don't live my life trying to avoid prison. I try to live my life yes. around an entirely yes. different set of priorities and alignments. Right. And and so I'm, I, I walk around going, no, I actually want to live a life of purpose and meaning and significance. And I've realized the only way to live a life that way is to not focus on my own purpose, meaning, and significance, but to pour that out for the sake of other people. Right. That is the path to life, right? Jesus yeah. says this over and over and over and over and over and over and over. So to me, the, the purpose of Jesus followers is to simply show how good it is to live in connected relationship to um, a Jesus of Nazareth today, to, right. to display how nice it is to be governed by something other than desires, culture, moral interests, whatever. Right. And to say, no, no, this surrender actually is a beautiful thing. I'd make it any day of the week. Right. And I think the truth of that kind of fruit suggests that an eternal community where that exists is far more gratifying than living in a community where the opposition of that exists. Correct. You know, because you're not getting gratification because you've done it and they didn't or because like you you overcame it. Right. Because I think that's that's the temptation of an earthly life is like, well, I'm trying to live a good life so I can be seen as good. Right. So it shows that I'm fighting against the unrighteous and fighting against that. Right. But it's like the eternal reward is not that gratification. Right. It's the actual joy of being among others who celebrate in the actual fruit of the gratification That's and not right. in its opposition. That's right. That's why we love going to sports games together, yes. rock concerts together. That's why when you see something so beautiful, you have to share it you have to share it on social media. Right. There's something that, that we're connected in that way. So I, absolutely, there's a communal aspect to all this. But I just wanted to suggest, because I'm not assuming many of you go and listen to the teachings, I just wanted to present a bit of the fruit of the research and conversation we've been having so that, um, you know, it could generate some conversation. Right. Um, if you are interested to talk more, and there are loads of objections. I mean, I got a great and gracious email from a, a New Testament prof that's like, ah, and I was like, fantastic. I've got responses to his responses and he'll have responses to my responses. These aren't new discussions. I just want to simply point out, I think um, that the, this view is more congruent with more of the Bible than the other view is. Mm -hmm. I also think this view is congruent with the heart of Jesus. Um, and the very clear teaching over and over and over again that God wants no one to perish. So the idea that God is up there pre-assigning destinations um, is so abhorrent to me, I can hardly even stand it. 
I just don't see that in Christ at all. So um, anyway, my brothers and sisters, they're good books to read. There's a book out there called Rethinking Hell uh, that... um, is is a series of um, academic and some not academic uh, reflections on arguments for annihilationism. Mm-hmm. annihilationism. Um, there's the book that we talked about with Preston Sprinkle called Three, Four Views. Wait, who wrote Rethinking Hell? Uh, it's edited by a couple of guys. I don't know off the top of okay. my head. Is it the same uh, that goes with the podcast, right? Rethinking Hell. Yes, 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 yes. 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 Okay. Uh, let me open up my Kindle. Also, yeah, that that podcast is... that I came across that podcast about two years ago, a year and a half ago, and I listened to a ton of that. And I actually thought in a dialogue kind of setting much like this. The book, I'm sure, is, is fantastic. Yep. Lis- listening to the dialogue edited, in the podcast form is great. Edited by uh, Christopher, Christopher Date, yep. Gregory Stump, yep. and Joshua Anderson. So it's called Rethinking Hell. Um, another book I'd recommend for you is Surprised by Hope, uh, N.T. Wright. Um, another book I would recommend uh, for you is the second edition of Four Views on Hell, edited by our friend uh, Preston Sprinkle. Uh, another book I would uh, I would recommend for you. Um, oh shoot, where is it? I'm flipping through my Kindle trying to find it. Um, Skeletons in God's Closet. Yep. Uh, by Joshua Ryan Butler. Mm-hmm. Um. And what I will do is, you guys, if, you, if you're in the iTunes app, you can actually tap the full description while the audio is playing, and the links in there are live and active. So you can click right to these book recommendations right from the podcast app. So yep. you can do that if you didn't know. So um, uh, we also have a live show coming up next week. Yeah. So March 9th, uh, Monkey Business Cafe, bring your Coors Light. Well, no, we'll have Coors Light there for you. Uh, we're going to talk about power. And... Um, uh, seems like a very relevant conversation uh, these days. We're going to take lots of questions, and we'll do about a 20-minute sort of regular episode, and then we'll open it up for some Qs and some As. So bring your questions. Bring come your, ready. Come ready. Um, and if not, we'll stir up enough, uh, I, I dare imagine. Yeah. Um, my, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, please share these if you if you find them helpful. One of the things that we've seen people do is um, to share them with people that maybe you uh, a face to face conversation would be awkward, but to share these and then have a conversation after is really a natural thing. Um, so I love that. But we really we we it seems like we're onto something, and that God is allowing us to have uh, interesting conversations in ways that are helpful to loads of people. And so. Whatever that means, we're, we're all for it. So, uh, my brothers and sisters, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you, and may he give you peace. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. See you. Hey, thanks for listening to the Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast, and now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash voxpodcast.